0: This is Watch the Media, I'm John Schrader from the studios of 90.3 FM KRNU in the College of Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Something a little different today, one out of the file we might call the business of the sports business. Charlie Meyer helped create the Lincoln Salt Dogs, an independent team in the American
1: Association, 19 years ago, and he's been at the helm since. We want to make this family, fun, and affordable. That's the three things that we really uh, work on uh, in putting our 50-game shows together. We talk about the media, the Lincoln
0: Market, how it helps his club get attention by the local media, and a whole lot more. So here we are sitting in the offices of the president and general manager of the Lincoln Salt Dogs. Uh, from the American Association in the American Association, uh, Independent Baseball League. And by the time this conversation is over, Charlie, we're going to know everything we need to know about how we can create our own baseball team because you basically created this from scratch, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Back in uh, 2001, we came to life, but uh, 1999, uh, Jim Abel um, had the vision of bringing minor league baseball back to Lincoln. And um, I was either in the right meeting at the right time or the wrong meeting at the wrong time when he was deciding to do that, and I was uh, fortunate enough to embark on a journey that's been uh, pretty amazing uh, to uh, bring a minor league ball team to Lincoln, partner with the the University of Nebraska and the city of Lincoln, Um, and uh, here we are 19 years later um, operating and running a Independent pro- professional baseball team right here in Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: So let me ask you this what manual do you go to? What textbook do you find that says this is how you create a baseball team after you've built a stadium with no experience managing a baseball team?
1: Well, I think it's like anything in business or any type of um, entrepreneurship or whatever. When you look at what you're trying to do, you surround yourself with good people. And I was fortunate uh, enough to uh, acquire um, one of the GMs from the Sioux City franchise that was a part of the um, the Northern League at that time, which then changed to the American Association in 2005. But Tim Utrop came here, understood the baseball operations side of it. Jim Abel, myself, knew the community. We knew people in Lincoln uh, from the corporate standpoint. And we just kind of basically married up with Tim and I myself, and we went out in the marketplace and introduced baseball and he helped me on the um the baseball operations side of it. I helped him as far as connecting the dots with the the corporate community and the and Basically, we went out and embarked on selling baseball and that there was going to be a ballpark and there was going to be suites and there were going to be seats and there were going to be all these fun things that were going to happen. And we partnered with the University of Nebraska and that was Husker baseball. And and so we had collegiate baseball, professional baseball being played in a, one ballpark in the downtown uh, city of Lincoln. So it, it turned out to be a an incredible journey um, and like I said it's really hard to believe that here we are 19 years later and um, still operating and uh, a lot of good things are happening and we've had a lot of fun with it.
0: So am I being presumptuous um, and unfair by thinking that about a hundred percent of what you know about um, professional baseball you've learned since you took over this job?
1: Yeah, no, you're, you're not being presumptuous. I mean, I, I was a very, you know, I played high school uh, baseball. I, I was very much a, a sports fan. But to, little did I know, and, you know, I knew going into this that I was going to be, it was going to be a, a learning curve. But just all the back room and the logistics and the networking and all the different things of professional baseball, um, you know, whether it's Major League Baseball um, or independent baseball, it's still baseball, and uh, but yeah, there was a the learning curve is, and I learn each and every day. And I think the one thing that I strive with my staff here, I've been very fortunate have a great staff, and a lot of people that have been here a long time. Um, you know, it's all about relationships and building relationships with people in the community, building trust, having fun with it. Um, yeah, there's some highs and lows of any type of uh, you know baseball season, sometimes you have a great season and the next season you're not so good. And so you, you never know you know what what's going to happen uh, each and every night when you put the field or team on the field. but you know I've been very fortunate. I've had a great front office staff, I've had great coaching staffs and you know we win together, we lose together and, and we have fun. That's what it's all about. So, for those of,
0: of us, and I won't include myself, but those uh, who don't quite understand independent league versus uh, a, a single A club that's, uh, that's affiliated with the Oakland Athletics or the Kansas City Royals, how does that work? What's the difference?
1: Describe it for me. Sure. Um, you know, everybody knows about the Omaha Royals or Omaha Storm Chasers in Omaha, and they're a triple A team and they're affiliated with the Kansas City Royals. So, all affiliated teams have single, they have rookie, single A, double A, triple A, and those are all affiliated within those organizations. We, as an independent league, Miles Wolf back in 19, in the early 1990s uh, created uh, the first independent league, the Northern League, back in 1992, of which his idea was each and every year there's 1,500 players that are being drafted. Uh, into Major League Baseball, meaning fifteen hundred players are going to fall out of the affiliated system. That's how the independent leagues were created. Miles had that vision of basically giving those fifteen hundred kids another opportunity to keep playing and maybe get picked up. And so, any affiliated team in Major League Baseball can come take a, a player from my my roster, and that's one of the unique things. You know, yeah, I do. We have relationships with the Royals. We have relationships with various organizations, whether it's the Diamondbacks or the Mariners or even with scouting directors, et cetera, et cetera. But anybody can come take a player from our roster in a, in affiliated ball. And they'll usually go from our league, um, I would say, as a double-A equivalent. So when I said earlier there's a rookie, there's single-A, double-A, triple-A. Uh, but there's also there's nights where we've got ex-major leaguers that are on our roster. So you might have a triple-A feel or even a major league field with the, the guy that's on the mound. So, But we're more of a double-A equivalent league when you look at it from top to bottom. Uh, but that's the difference. You're independent, we're not affiliated with anybody. The one thing that's really different and makes people understand or want people to understand is the fact that Being independent, we put our roster together. And on the affiliated side, the affiliated, you know, the the parent club is pushing players at your organization saying, you're going to play this guy and you're going to play this guy, or whatever the case may be. We have the luxury. We're putting the best nine players on the field each and every night. We're trying to win. They're trying to develop players. We're trying to develop players as well. But there's a lot of dictating going on from the organization where on the independent side, we're doing that dictating and having fun with it.
0: So when the Rockies or the Royals or anybody else calls and says, I want player A um, and I got my eyes on player C, you have to let them go. You, they have to, you're required to let them go.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, the league, that's what the, the American Association's all about as far as, you know, giving that player that opportunity. Um, now there's some cases where, um, you know, if, let's say a player, um, an organization came and or they're you know, we, saying, we want him to go to single A and he's was a double A player or a triple A player? He can he can rescind it and say no, I'm not I'm not interested. That's fine. So I mean, the player can kind of dictate mm-hmm. to whether or their agent. Some of them still have agents. The agent will dictate where they where the player would go. But no, the intent would be that we would move the player and uh, let him go on the affiliated side and and hope he can get to the big leagues.
0: How is it, Charlie, that a former uh, big league player would end up being here in the independent league? What kind of circumstances
1: would would get him here? Ninety nine percent of the time, it's an injury. You know, they're coming. You know, Tommy John, or they've got a. You know, they had an injury with a knee, or whatever the case may be, if they're a position player. But ninety nine percent of them, it's an arm issue, whether it's an elbow, shoulder, rotator cuff, whatever the case may be. So those players have obviously. Got let let go out of their organization because of the injury, and so they're kind of rehabbing back with us. And a lot of times, those uh, uh, affiliated organizations are looking at us and saying, "Okay, how does this? Um, let's see if this player can pitch. Can he? Does he still have the velocity? Does he still have the number of pitches that he can that he can help us?" And uh, so a lot of those guys will turn around and get resigned. But there's just so many players out there mm-hmm. that you know it's a numbers game. And I think you know the one thing that you know, scouting directors. You know, they're putting their clubs together, and you know, there's some political uh, value there from their standpoint because obviously they're signing a kid. And they say, "Hey, I signed you for a half million dollars," and they might have signed another player for a hundred thousand dollars. That hundred thousand dollar player might be better than than you as a five hundred thousand dollar player. But when they come to release or have to make moves, they're they got an investment of half a million dollars. They may keep the worst player versus. The better player, and it's just it's the politics of the game. That's just what it is.
0: Now, when you've got a guy who's been in the big leagues, or maybe he was a Triple A player who was on his way to the big leagues, or you know, we know a lot of players jump from Double A to, to to the big leagues, at least in you know spring training. And um, so, would they call you maybe and say, "Hey, Charlie, you know, you've been really good to our guys. We'd like to see if he can play third base. If he still got his arm left, would you do that? Do they ever ask you to do that?
1: Yep. Although people, they'll reach out to my, our manager, Bobby Brown, and. Uh, um, you know, or myself, and see if we have a spot. You know, they're 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 out looking, and and it, the activity gets really heated once the draft happens. Um, you know, obviously those kids still get assigned, but there's a lot of lot of movement that happens in June, July, and that's where a lot of those players get flushed out. And um, you know, whether you want to add some people or basically upgrade your roster, you know, it's always kind of a fluid movement all all summer long. Um, that's one of the things that if there's probably a an outcry of of the independent leagues is just the turnover as far as players. Um, we've been very fortunate in Lincoln that we've had a lot of players that have been here multiple years, so people get to know some of these players. But that's kind of the abnormal because usually the the roster's turning over. Um, you know, like this year for the first time, I think we're only bringing back seven players we had from last year's squad. Which and usually it's been twelve to thirteen, maybe. I and we had nine or ten new players, but this year's a little bit of a an anomaly that we've got something. We've got more players, uh, new players coming into the market than than we've done in the past.
0: So you start the season in the middle of May, middle sort of third week in May, kind of. Um, when do you know what your roster is? How how much time do you
1: have to uh, have the luxury of knowing who you have on your team? Well, that we can have up to twenty eight players on our roster in the off season. So we're always adding players throughout the whole year. Um, we're making moves, you know, not every day, but we're making moves to try to get your roster set and get contracts signed. Um, the other thing that can happen is we can sign a contract with somebody and all of a sudden he gets an invite to spring training. So then we'll let him go and let him go to spring training. And then spring training happens, he may get cut, then he'll come back to us. And so that it's a fluid, what I equate to, it's really kind of like a puzzle. You're trying to put your 23 pieces together. Um, today actually is, um, Roster day, we have to set our roster, so we had 27 guys in camp, so we had to cut it down to 24 or to 23 today, and so needing to make moves today, and that's never a fun day. You know, let three or four guys know that, hey, either we're going to move them to the DL or inactive list, or we just have to release them. That's, do you make that call to them, or does the manager do that? The manager and I. The manager is primarily because he's around the players a lot more, but I'm also involved in that process, especially at, at the start of the season here. Um, but it's, um, that's never the fun part of the business, but it's part of the business you have to do.
0: Charlie Meyer is the president and general manager of the Lincoln Salt Dogs and has been for all of its 19 years of existence. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. Give us an idea, if you would, if you can be honest about it, what kind of money these these players make?
1: Well, we have a salary cap in the in the American Association, and there's a reason for the salary cap is so that small markets or large markets, uh, we're all we're basically competitive. And when you look at the league, there's really not a dominant team that wins each and every year. There's somebody new out of the twelve team league. There's somebody different. That's you know, there's been some years where like, Winnipeg won back to back, but it doesn't happen very often. The competitive balance in the league is very good. And obviously the roster makeups help make that happen. But, you know, a player, um, a rookie player can make roughly $1,200, and $1,200 a month is what these guys are making. And some veterans can make between three to 4000 a month. And so you're basically, that's another piece of the puzzle that, that putting your 23-man roster together is not only the there are classifications but then there's the money side of it as far as working through the salary cap and and figuring out if we spent too much or not do, you know do we have a, a more money available and the other side of it is as i've told a lot of fans and that type of thing is you know i might have a second baseman playing for me that's making $1500 and um, he gets hurt well i got to go find another second baseman well if i got a salary cap issue i got to find somebody either lower or there might be a player out there that I, that needs he wants eighteen or nineteen hundred. Well, I can't afford him. So that, that there's a double double-edged sword with that old salary cap. But it's that's just part of the business. You just got to work around it.
0: And these players, I mean, is it the same old decades long? kind of view of minor league baseball that we have there three or four of these guys are living together in the same place and of course they're spending almost 24 hours
1: a day seven days a week with each other anyway but is that kind of the way it is still yeah i mean what we have here we've been very fortunate we've got a host family program so a lot of the players actually stay with host families we can provide housing for four to five players a year on our roster so that's another puzzle putting together as far as who's going to where there's some host families that'll house two or three players, some of them will house just one player, and then the other side of it is there's there's players that are flying in there's players that are driving in, so then it's about matching up so they can get back and forth transportation to the ballpark so yeah that's you know and the, you know as you said i mean there's we play a hundred game schedule in hundred and ten days, so there's only ten off days during the year playing fifty home games, fifty away games. So there's you know they're spending a lot of time here, and the host families. That's that's been a key thing for us in Lincoln, just because it gives us an opportunity for those players. It's a recruiting tool mm-hmm. um, because they don't have to find housing. And the other difficulty is they may be here today and gone tomorrow. And so from the standpoint of being able to sign a six month lease or a three month lease, I mean you know we're basically a, when I look at a player they're here a hundred and. 20 to 125 days, and then they're on their way to figure out what they're going to do in the off season.
0: What's the profile of a typical rookie player for you? Is there a typical rope a profile?
1: Yeah, you know what I would say is uh, it's a, a player that's completed their college career, um, or it's been a player that. Um, was drafted and then didn't make it. Uh, once he was, you know, was drafted and he signed with an organization, he was cut. So a rookie player, um, what we consider is a college grad graduate or a player that's undrafted, that can come in and play into our league. Um, as I said earlier, you know, it's kind of a Double A equivalent league. So if you're a rookie, I mean, it's it's not an easy thing. I mean, you know, a lot of people think, well. You get your partnership with the University of Nebraska. You can just take those guys that don't get signed and put them on your roster and have them perform. And, yeah, we've done some of that. We've got, you know, a former pitcher with us now, Jake Hoensey, a uh, former Husker. And But on the hitting side, it's that's a tough jump. I mean, and the other side of it, I remember they're going from aluminum bats to a wood bat. And the, so there's the rookies can really kind of struggle. But to me, the, they're the diamonds in the rough. Um, because with a 23-man roster and you got five of those guys are rookies, those rookies have to perform. And if you've got rookies that can perform, that'll differentiate yourself in the league throughout on a competitive side throughout the season. If you don't have good rookies, and you got to have rookies that can't all be pitching, it's got to be guys that can play whether they're a catcher or whether they're an outfielder or whatever the case may be, they've got to be able to perform. and, and that's where you see a lot of the movement is usually in rookie classifications because, you know, they can't make it and we got to make a move and find another rookie, etc. So.
0: And you don't know if they can make it until you put them out there. Exactly, until you put them on the field and see what happens. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the business side if, if you're comfortable with sure. that. What's the attraction to you all, to the Abel family, to anybody who's in the business of the Indo- independent league baseball? What's the attraction?
1: Well, I think the way we look at it and, um, you know, Jim Abel and the, the Abel family have, have been great philanthropists here in Lincoln. They've given back to this community uh, in lots of ways. And what we look at it from the minor league baseball standpoint, We're giving Lincoln an entertainment value uh, in a great ballpark with a great setting and a great skyline of downtown Lincoln and Memorial Stadium. And, you know, our our vision from day one has been kind of a three-legged stool approach. We had the three-legged stool. When you look at the University of Nebraska, the city and Nebco, our three legs put to put this program together. And we've kind of continued that with our vision and our kind of, mindset is we want to make this family fun and affordable that's the three things that we really uh work on uh in putting our 50 game shows together and so whether it's family whether it's fun and whether it's affordable we use if you hit all three of those you're usually successful if you shortcut and only have two of those sometimes it doesn't work and so it's been you know that's kind of the live and learn side of it but you know it's um it is a tough business i mean you really got to manage it um because obviously you're you're working on gate receipts, people buying season tickets people sponsors and etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you got all these expenses with the team team travel and the team buses and the team salaries and obviously your front office salaries um you know i've got a roughly a full-time staff of about 12 people um i got somebody that's running the marketing side i got somebody running the promotions and the merchandise that we have to wear a lot of different hats. Um, We got an office manager, and then we got salespeople, and then I got video operations on our radio production, and then you got the turf and stadium operations. (laughs) So there's a lot of – there's not a lot of um, what I would say overhead, but there's still – we've got people here to to make it all happen. But our whole vision and goal is – and I think if you talk to my staff, I'm I'm a big proponent on – let's have fun and you know we make a mistake we just pick up the pieces and move forward I mean that's it because you can't control what's going to happen number one with the team's play and we can't really control how this between any promotion is going to work or <laughs> you know it is what it is you just got to have fun with it and and uh, so my staff has I've been very fortunate you're you're only as good as the people you have around you and I've been fortunate to have great people around me.
0: How discriminating are the fans regarding the quality of baseball
1: they're watching? It's been interesting because I think a lot of times I'll stand out at the gates when people are leaving on certain nights, and I'll say, hey, thanks for coming out the ballpark. Hope you had a great time. What was the score of the game? And a lot of people don't even know what the score of the game was. And so I think some people – there's some diehards. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's diehards that come out, and, and I'll hear it. Like, you know, that guy didn't jog – you know, that guy jogged down to first base. He didn't run that out or whatever. You, you hear those types of things. Mm-hmm. But I think we've created the atmosphere here that it's a – yes um, – you're coming out for the haymarket park experience and baseball's a part of that you know there's the entertainment the giveaways the different things we try to do and the kids have fun with our kids areas and that type of thing it's more of about an experience and it's not so much about the guys on the field whether they're winning or losing now the manager and the team i mean obviously they're they're it's all about wins and losses but from a fan's perspective i really have sensed over the 18 years that that really isn't a huge thing. Um, you know, we, we've won one championship back in 09. Obviously that's the goal each and every year when you get started is that you're going to win a championship. Uh, but that's not easy. You know, that's not, a, it's easier said than done. Uh, but it was fun when it happened and hopefully we'll get to repeat that someday here in the future.
0: What's the average price of a ticket? What's the average price of a, of the experience?
1: Well, you know, our ticket pr- ticket prices range from nine to eighteen dollars, and so it's really family fun and affordable. Like I said, that's really what it's all about. Um, you know, when you look at you know season ticket packages, a tickets four hundred to four hundred um, and fifty bucks, and again, it's fifty games. But we've got all kinds of ticket packages, whether it's half season, quarter season. Uh, we've got some fan plans. We've actually went to more of a kind of a voucher system where you can buy buy 20 vouchers, and then you come out whatever night you want to do, and you can find the ticket, you know, pick up the ticket you want to pick. Um, so, again, trying to adapt to the marketplace. And, you know, we're in a, we're in a market when you look at the University of Nebraska. There's a lot of tickets out there with volleyball, basketball, football, all the different uh, opportunities, and we're just one of those things. that, And, and there is a lot of games. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, but it's minor league baseball. Yeah.
0: What is the coolest promotion you think you've ever done here? Woo!
1: let me think about that. Um, you know, I think one of the, from an entertainer standpoint, when we had Hannah Houston here, uh, after she would run her voice, uh, run on uh, on the voice, we had her come and sing the national anthem and the seventh inning stretch was just kind of fun to have her here. Uh, we've so had, she's a Nebraskan? Yeah, she's from Nebraska and she's a teacher here in Lincoln. And so that was kind of a cool thing to have. Have happened. Obviously, we had uh, Husker Legends Night one night with um, all three of the uh, Heisman Trophy winners, uh, Rozier and uh, Johnny Rogers and um, Eric Crouch, um, as well as Coach Osborne, come out and uh, they threw out a first pitch simultaneously. It was kind of a fun deal, and Eric Crouch kind of did the uh, option pitch and it was kind <laughs> of a fun. It was a fun deal then. So, um, you know, I think I, I look back and you know. The opening night was magical here back in 2001. It was just baseball hadn't been in Lincoln for 40-some years, and, um, you know, all of a sudden we brought back the Lincoln Chiefs and had those guys come out and throw a first pitch, and, you know, some the guys that were still alive at that time, and to kind of rekindle baseball, and, you know, people didn't know how to get down here. There was people backed up all the way down O Street trying to get in here, and, you Right. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a fun opening night. I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the other fun entertainment. We have had the San Diego Chicken here. Um, you know, we've, had, we've done a lot of fun things, um, and I think that's the, the key thing of doing this. Obviously, last year we had Scott Frost come out and throw a first pitch. I mean, people relate to that type mm-hmm. of thing, and um, we just like to, like I said, it's all about having fun. That's really what it's all about.
0: Okay, Charlie. What was the biggest disaster of a promotion you've had that you thought was a great idea?
1: Wow, let me think about. Let's hope that. you didn't have one of those, know, but I'm sure you I did. No, I, I, um, I'm trying to think of a disaster. We really haven't. We really haven't had a disaster, other than well, I would say we had uh, a jersey giveaway that. We didn't have all the jerseys here. The, the promotion uh, company didn't get the, get the jerseys to us in time, and so we had to do a voucher system, which you hate to do that type of thing. But uh, that's probably from a disaster stamp. Now, there's been a lot of between-ending type things that have been, you know, a lot of fun things that happen, and, you know, the kids, kids running the bases or dizzy bat race type thing, and people – I had a guy falling in the dugout one time because he was dizzy, and so you know those types of things that you can't really control. But it turned out to be kind of fun. So yeah, as long as he wasn't hurt, exactly, he wasn't hurt. The players caught him. Thank God. So,
0: who is your audience? Who, who, who is who is the who is who are the people you target and say these are the people we'd like to be here for a night or ten nights or twenty nights or whatever.
1: Well obviously, it starts at the the corporation level I mean obviously the corporate sponsorships are the, really the backbone to help us basically run and operate that so there are tickets that they're the corporations are buying, but then there's group outings you know whether that it's a small group of twenty people or to a larger group of fifteen hundred to two thousand people those are really the benefit- you know that's who we're targeting talking to um obviously it's it's families i mean it 's all about family um you know I get more joy out of a you know family fun sunday to see families and grandparents bring their grandkids out or you know parents bringing their kids out and the, you know every night here is run the bases um at first i know parents you would mean come, after the game after all the, the kids game. can come yeah. out and run the base yep. all kids run the bases after the game and the fan you know uh, parents would get upset because they're, they thought well we need to leave in the seventh day no like, oh, no we got to run the bases mom and dad you know and <laughs> there's a there's a there's a method to the madness because we only have one entrance and one exit out of Haymarket Park. And so after the games, you know, it just helps get the traffic flow out of here. If the kids are running the bases, some fans can leave. Yeah. And instead of everybody trying to leave. So, uh, but kids maybe they'll buy an extra soda or something. Exactly. In the exactly. No, that's right. They stick around <laughs> and have fun. But the kids love running the bases. And that's, um, you know, that's one of the things when you look at it. Um, again, back to that whole fun atmosphere. Kids look forward to that. And uh, it's, a, it's kind of a Haymarket Park staple. Why the
0: Salt Dogs? What's the history of that?
1: Okay, well, back in 2000, when we were identifying what we were going to name the team, uh, Jim Abel and the group here, we all sat down. And we wanted to name it to some historical value of Lincoln. Um, Obviously, the Capitals came into play pretty quickly. But there was already a team in the league that was the Capitals. And um, so we didn't want to steal that. We found out that Lincoln was founded in the mid-1800s because of its Salt Flats. And that's where we, we got a Salt Salt Creek here, and uh, the Capital Beach area is actually a salt lake, so the salt kind of came out of. That's where it, it was salt, and then it was okay. Do we call them salt dogs, salt cats? What do we call them? And uh, Jim Abel and their family are big dog lovers, so we ended up coming up with salt dogs, and uh, that's how. That's what the the mean green. Machine looks like everybody goes. Oh my God, that dog looks scary! But it's not a scary dog. Homer, our our mascot, is a great mascot. And uh, but that's where the salt dogs came from.
0: So, what are the what are the other names in the league? You don't have to go through all of them, but what is the most bizarre name in the
1: um, the association? (coughs) Well, I'm not sure. There's really a bizarre one. Well, I mean, last year and unfortunately they went AAA. This next year, Wichita was called the Wingnuts. Because the aviation side of it, Um, but if I go down, we got the Gold Eyes in Winnipeg, which is named after a a fish up in in Canada. The Fargo's, the Red Hawks. We got the Canaries in Sioux Falls. We got the Explorers in Sioux City. Got the Kansas City T-Bones, just out. You know the whole Kansas City area. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you know we when you look at the um, Cleburne, Texas, is the Railroaders because it's by, by a railroad. And we got the Gary South Shore Railcats. We got a new team coming in that's replacing um, Wichita this year is Milwaukee, and they're called the Milkmen. So, Milwaukee yeah, the Milkmen. So that's a different one. And then uh, the Chicago team came in came live last year, and they're called the Chicago Dogs, basically after the hot dogs. So everything there from the Chicago standpoint. So,
0: There's yeah, a lot of big cities, a lot of major cities in this league.
1: There really are, and I mean that's the the beauty of the American Association. Um, we're actually hosting all the. The umpires in the league today here in Lincoln, they're getting ready to take off to go to their their destinations as far as games starting on Thursday. But yeah, you know, Lincoln's kind of the central point of it. But when you look at we're we're considered a small market when you look at St. Paul in the Dallas area, you got Winnipeg, you got, you know, Gary, Indiana, the suburb of Chicago, obviously Chicago. Um, Milwaukee, I mean, that's it's in Franklin County, but it's right next to Milwaukee. So, I mean, there's some major areas in, you know, St. Paul, Minnesota and the Twin Cities. So, I mean, you know, you look at Sioux City, uh, you look at Sioux Falls, you look at Lincoln and Fargo. We're probably the the smallest markets compared to all the other mm-hmm. teams that are in the league. And so it's, it's a great travel league for the teams. They're playing in great ballparks, great cities. Uh, sometimes the travel can get a little long and it makes, you know, they play a game and they get out of the town at 12, 30, 11, 1 o'clock and they roll back in here 7, 8 in the morning and turn around and play that night here in Lincoln. So it's a long day.
0: Charlie Meyer is the president and general manager of the Lincoln Salt Dogs of the American Association. I'm John Schrader and this is Watch the Media. Okay, big markets, small markets, medium-sized markets. How do you get as much attention from the media uh, in this area as you can grab? How do you do that?
1: It's back to relationships. I think it's you know going out and making relationships with the media. We've got it. We partnered um, with Alpha Media or KFOR back almost twenty years ago to you know basically broadcast all our games. All our games are broadcast. Home and Away, um, so that's that's the radio outlet. Um, obviously, we had a great relationship with the Journal Star, through our advertising with them and digital advertising, um, and reach out to basically all the other houses in town as far as radio outlets and, and try to do as many, um, you know, radio ads and just keeping people informed. Okay, here's what's coming, and um, this week's promotions and different things through those different channels. Uh, Obviously now the whole, still learning this from my own standpoint, is just the whole social media side of it and Facebook and, you know, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, how how do those avenues or those channels work for us, whether it's YouTube, we're trying to put highlights out each and every night just to try to, again, attract people to understand what's going on here, to come out and have some fun at the ballpark. So
0: in Chicago, in Minneapolis, in other places, They're probably not going to have a TV crew out there getting highlights of your game. They're probably not going to get one of the major radio stations in town carrying their games. In fact, not probably. I know these things. They're not, right? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, the size of this community, the size of this market, then works to your advantage because you do get the local TV stations with your highlights at night. You do have a radio outlet. You do have the newspaper that covers you. So in that sense, the market's good for
1: that, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the things, you know, with the, the TV partners, I mean, it's both ten, eleven, and Channel 8 are out here. This, You know, we get to know those sports guys pretty well. Um, and, and it's good coverage because, I mean, whether, you know, we try to do some um, individual features with the players so that people can kind of understand um, where these players come from, what they've done, what they're doing. Um, you know, the Journal Star has done a great job of kind of doing different uh, stories on some of these players as far as just kind of introducing them to the marketplace so people can know that, hey, this guy's from – you know, whether it's Nicaragua or somebody from California or somebody from Atlanta. I mean, all these guys come from all over the world and are playing baseball here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so, you know, the large markets, St. Paul and those guys have done a really good job in getting into that. But we're very, we benefit by having that radio outlet, the TV outlets and the Journal Star because they have a beat writer over here each and every night covering our games. And, uh, you know, some of the markets now we've actually worked it out. We're they're getting highlights back to Lincoln, back to the TV stations when we're on the road. So we've got some things worked out. But again, it's you're cultivating relationships and just basically working with the media. Uh, obviously, that's your um, that's your communication avenue to the marketplace, and we try to do it the best we can.
0: How savvy were you in media relations when you took this job?
1: I, you know, I, I. Always been very outgoing, and, and you know, can really I feel can talk to with anybody. And uh, but it it is a learning learning curve um, from the standpoint of sometimes, you know, the media, you know, they want it they want the scoop and they want the story that first. Is. And uh, that's and, what we do. I understand that, and that's <laughs> and that was one of probably the learning curve from my standpoint as far as trying to understand talking to the newspaper talking to TV and and trying to make the timing of it so that everyone had access to it and so uh, that was probably the one of the learning curves from my standpoint but the lo- the media has been great to work with i mean it's one of those things whether it's good or bad um, you know they're looking for they're looking for news and you know whether uh, an injury happens or you have something go bad with the team you know i mean there's the, there's the good and the bad of it and Mm-hmm. You know, the media, I think, has been very, very fair covering uh, our games and covering us as an organization for the last 19 years.
0: You just hired a young man named Michael Dixon to do your, your broadcasting and I would assume other media chores here as well. What was it about his work that was attractive to you?
1: Well, I met, I met with him um, two years ago, well, actually three years ago. He had interviewed right when he was getting out of school. Um, he went to the University of Nebraska He's got a great voice, Um, he loves baseball, he loves sports. Uh, We ended up taking Michael Shively, uh, who is actually a Lincoln native and also University of Nebraska grad. Um, And Michael's kind of went down the TV route this past year with uh, NTV up in Norfolk. And so um, Michael, um, I kind of reached back to him after I'd interviewed him uh, two years ago and said, hey, would you, be interested to come back to Lincoln or because he's actually from Texas and that type of thing. And he was uh, very open and was really excited about the opportunity. Obviously, when um, the media or the broadcasters found out this position was open, I had a lot of various resumes that came running in and did some interviews with other people just to kind of see what the lay of the land was. And. and Michael being in the, he was in, Michael Dixon being in the league the last two years with Cleburne understood the league. I think there's some, there's a real advantage for, you know, you got to remember he's painting a picture uh, each and every night when he's on the broadcast and uh, knowing, knowing the league, knowing how the league works, the whole independent side's a different thing than affiliated. Uh, but yeah, we're very happy with the hire and obviously he's excited to be here back in Lincoln. Yeah.
0: What other kinds of media chores do you expect from your radio broadcaster?
1: Well, the whole social media channels that I talked about earlier. Um, you know, obviously, the Twitter, Facebook, all those types of things. We actually hire a couple interns uh, that'll come in, we'll add to our staff here for the summer. We bring in about 15 interns every year to help us with promotions and stadium operations and that type of thing, but we also put a couple with uh, Michael on the media communication side, um, whether they're getting pictures and so we can send things out on Snapchat or pictures that we can put on Facebook, YouTube, whatever the case may be. Um, but he's doing all that public relations, getting our press releases, you know, with players that are being signed or released and that type of thing, uh, putting the press releases together. Obviously he's putting together the, the game show that he, um, that he leads into for the radio broadcast, so he has a half-hour show that he's got to put together. And um, obviously, there's highlights that we're talking about the game before, et cetera, et cetera. But um, there's a lot of different things, and he gets. I think they get a real good taste of, you know, the fact that we got 100 games, 110 days, and, and he's traveling on the bus. He's staying in the hotel rooms. It's not as glamorous as you might think it is, but uh, yeah. these guys have fun. They have fun when they're on the road.
0: Actually, I'm not sure. I think it's glamorous. I think I pretty much know what a seven-hour bus ride back from Fargo is, or wh- whatever that is. So, do you find that over the 19 years, and again, this is more the media talk, do you find that over the 19 years, these young people have become uh, better prepared um, and know more about the bigger picture job they have to do, and not just the play-by-play, or not just the radio, or have they always kind of understood that this is a you know three or four prong job they have to do?
1: in our case it's got to be a 3 or 4 prong cuz we just don't have the media support and the staff to yeah. basically and that's where help having the interns you know cuz there's not only the um, you know the the press releases and he's writing a story that he's doing after the game and and sending that off to the media but also then he's putting together all the stat packs and everything and the game notes and everything for the manager and the, the opposing team manager when he's in town. He doesn't have to do that when he's on the road because that person's right. doing it for them. But again, just, you know, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes and, you know, just because a game gets over at 10, 10, you know, if, you know, Michael's out of here by 1130, 12 o'clock, and then he's back here the next morning at eight nine o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's, it's a grueling process for about 120 days. Um, but, as i keep telling all myself just have fun you know you got to have when you walk in that door you got to feel like you're going to have fun and have fun of what you're doing
0: baseball from playing from owning from managing from broadcasting from my view has always been not really a job but a lifestyle it's really just been a lifestyle how do you make sure or how do you try to identify those people who would be willing to be in that lifestyle because if they don't want to be here at 8 o'clock in the morning after leaving here at midnight, they're not going to do as good a work. But if they love what they're doing, the work's going to be good. How do you know when
1: you've got that person who just feels it? I don't know. I don't know if there's a real answer for that. I, I think what I've I've just been lucky, uh, you know, obviously there's been people we've hired that haven't worked out and that type of thing because all of a sudden they, they don't understand the long hours. But I've really surrounded myself with a lot of good people. And when we go through 75 to 100 intern interviews each in year each year to cut down to 15, and that's a grueling process, but I, I include my ticketing director, I include my promotions director, my office manager, my stadium ops guys. We sit in and every one of those, I sit in and every one of those interviews, and we sit down and interview. And you can kind of see, you know, some kids, you can read it on paper, um, with their resumes and that type of thing but you also can see just in their mannerisms you know at what their energy level because i mean we, we we're pretty upfront with them in the interview process it's not it's a kind of a quick and quick interview process but we also just kind of paint the picture here's what this day is going to look like and but here's our off weeks and here's our game day weeks and i can't control mother nature if we got a two-hour rain delay we're going to be here till twelve thirty at night and we got to turn around and be back here at eight o'clock the next morning But you kind of sense it just in that interview. I mean, people can portray um, their skill sets, in my opinion. And and people that, uh, it's a lot of times when you look at it, people that have been involved in sports are usually the better ones because they know what it's like on the other side. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) now they're coming in on the other side and trying to understand the backside of the business. Um, There's good and bad with that. But it's a lot of times there's a lot of people with sports backgrounds or they love sports and they want to be involved in it.
0: Understanding the ratio might be a little different, but do you find that there are as many people who want to be in baseball as broadcasters or in marketing or as, as young men who want to play baseball? Do you find a lot of people who are just hungry to give it a
1: shot? There's some of that. Um, yeah, and that's so much. I mean, I, what's amazing to me is how many how many kids are in the market sports marketing um, degree path. You know, that's their path that they're looking to go down. Uh, The broadcasting side of it's one. The problem is when you look at baseball teams, there's only so many teams that can only have one or or two broadcasters. You know, a lot of people, you know, I'd love to have a color person along with Michael Dixon, but Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense from an economic standpoint. Um, But, you know, there's only, you know, so many major league baseball teams. And when you look at the, when you look at affiliated ball and you add the independent leagues, there's probably – Maybe 175 to 200 teams total in the country. So there's only 200 positions. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. You know, it's like people don't think of that. They no. think, well, there's only one radio position and there's, you know, usually yeah. one general manager. And I mean, <laughs> it's just, you know, so we're, we're a part of a, a, a kind of a cool family. But there's not as much opportunity out there when you look at the number of jobs that are actually in that in this mm-hmm. industry.
0: So if you wouldn't mind sharing with me when the when Michael Dixon got the job when Michael Shively decided to stay at News Channel Nebraska and not come back here how many people roughly did you have knocking on your door for that job
1: Uh let's see I think we were at like 20 or 21 applications I think or I got emails and mm-hmm. you know with today's technology now whether it's you know your smartphone or dumb phone, however you want to look at it, but I mean I get you're getting you know text messages and emails and um, you know there's a lot of interest from all over the country and I you know people heard about it and it's, and like I said it's 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 kind of a funnel you know there's there's only so many of these jobs out there and mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of guys want to be in baseball and um, or they just want to get they just want to get a broadcasting career started mm-hmm. and um, and it's interesting I like having the young guys um do this and a lot of it's because the travel I mean it's yeah. it's a hundred you know it's brutal. it's brutal it's I mean there's nine 10 12 hour bus trips and I mean that's yeah. that's hard and, and I'm not saying that somebody older couldn't do that uh, but you know we've got some guys in this league that um, have been the broadcaster for 20 years uh, wow. for some of these teams and uh, that travel they they just love it they want to be a part of it.
0: Charlie Meyer is the president and general manager of the Lincoln Salt Dogs. I'm John Schrader. This question doesn't uh, propose that you personally can do much about this, but do you think we're any closer to the place where young women are interested in broadcasting baseball and that baseball, maybe more importantly, would be interested in hiring young women to broadcast baseball?
1: Well, I think you can look at ESPN. Um, look at what ESPN is doing with mm-hmm. uh women and you know, broadcasting baseball. Um, I think those opportunities are there. Um, I think it's um you know, to me, the broadcasting side of baseball, the true art of it, and what I really love about the listening to the broadcast is these guys are painting a picture for you and you're not sitting there um whether i'm whether the team's on the road or whatever i'm listening and even when i'm at home i'm listening mm-hmm. um, they're painting a picture for you of what's actually going on and whether that's a man or a woman i don't think that's i just think that women probably think well i can't do baseball cuz i don't play it and but i mean they really do when they're they're playing softball the game the Right. Everything's basically the same. It's just that the ball's smaller yeah. and the other one's larger. Um, but I mean, most of the
0: people who broadcast Major League Baseball, with the exception of the former players, didn't play Major League
1: Baseball. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, Vin Scully and some of the the icons and the, yeah. you know, and Bob Costas and some of these great guys that have called baseball. And like I said, it's all about, to me, about painting the mm-hmm. picture. Because I think and when you can hear and listen and you can, and you can actually feel like you're there, then that broadcaster does a great job. And it's, you know, what I love to listen to is kind of what what their home run calls are or, you know, um, mm-hmm. a, a line drive. You know, everybody has their different calls, and that's what's so unique about the broadcasting mm-hmm. business. And so I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm looking forward to listening to Michael to see what kind of calls – um, he'll have for this upcoming season. Yeah.
0: So, do you do you, do you give advice? Do you sometimes
1: say, "Hey, Michael," uh, nudge here, or there. Well, you know, I think um, with uh, all the broadcasters we've had here, we've been very fortunate. I mean, we started out with Bill Dolman and um, John Baylor. Uh, they did a two a duo there for two or three years. Uh, here with the Salt Dogs, and then John went off and uh, started his own business with his um, ACT business and. Um, But all the broadcasters, I think it's always been fun to sit down and just kind of reflect with them and review. Um, There'll be things that, you know, I'll kind of say, hey, I think maybe this is an avenue you maybe need to talk a little bit more about. Or, you know, um, or but knock on wood, I've been very lucky. They've been very good at what they do. Um, And again, they're experts in that area. That's why we hired them. And so they do their job. And my point is you know accept feedback and I get feedback from fans and that type of thing and I'll pass on all that information my point is they're still who they are and then you know have fun of what you're doing my point is come across that you're having fun and hopefully you know and that's tough think about it if we're on a 10 game losing streak that's pretty hard to I do you that. you got to paint a picture and but it's all about being upbeat, having fun, and if you've done a good job and they're really good at
0: it and they can jump to a better job, it's just like the players more power to them
1: right more power to them, and that's the whole idea and you know if they can move on from here and and um i mean we're we're giving them a great training ground. it's kind of like the umpires in the league we're we're given you know we've had a lot of umpires in this league that have continued to move up in the affiliated ranks because of the experience they've gotten here and so. The Same thing with my staff. I mean, I've been fortunate that I don't have a lot of turnover in my staff, but on the broadcasting side, that's an option, you know, an option for people. But again, those opportunities you know, look how long Ben Scully was <laughs> the announcer for the Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, he was there forever. And so, you know, they just don't turn over that often, but when they do turn over, these opportunities can help. And I think Michael Dixon, for example, he loves hockey and loves baseball, you know, and I think if a hockey opportunity would come up, he'd probably run down that path as well. So, you know, I wish him well. And, we, and like I said, they, they have an art and they have a talent, and that's why, you, you know, let them do their job. Let them have fun. Yeah.
0: Speaking of that, Charlie, what is the most fun part of this job for you?
1: You know, um, I just see families coming out to the ballpark. Um, you know, we've – and just watching my staff – Grow and learn and have fun at what they do. Um, yeah, there's frustrating days and that type of thing. But probably the biggest enjoyment I get is when we start executing the games and we start seeing. You know, we're we're putting putting together 50 shows, whether it's you know giveaways, entertainers, entertainment, the scripting. You know, watching the the staff grow and learn and put that put it all together and then see it executed and and I mean that, there's a huge enjoyment in seeing that happen. Um, you know we've got a partnership with the um, Homer's Heroes program, which are basically a hundred kids that are disabled and basically in wheelchairs, and uh, we play a what we call the Homer's Heroes World Series game with them um, with the players in June. And that's probably been the most touching thing for me um, to be involved and be a part of that is to see those kids' eyes and smiles and because they get to play baseball with the Salt Dogs. And the players grumble a little bit because they gotta be back at the ballpark at nine o'clock in the morning. But at noon when we're done, they all come up and thank me for, hey, thanks for making me do that because that was really rewarding and seeing these kids. And unfortunately these kids, some of them don't have a chance. Um, they've got some disabilities and different things that they're having to deal with. And um, you know I go back to the first year we were here back in 01. There was a kid, all of a sudden, I'm um, <clears throat> doing a radio interview with the, the radio guy after the game, and all of a sudden, I see the kids run the bases, and for some reason, I don't know where I picked the ball, but I had a ball in my hand, and I'm talking, doing the interview, and all of a sudden, I see this little kid. Everybody else is gone, and the kid is walking with his walker, and it looks like he's around got the around the bases, wow. and I'm up there, and I think it might have been John Baylor, and I was just kind of trying to give him the cutoff sign, you know, get my interview done, get my interview done. Um, so I walked down to home plate when that kid touched home plate. And he looked, he says, I told you I could do this. And he'd been coming to a number of games. I don't remember how many. Um, but it was so touching because he wanted to prove to his mom he could do it. And I have forged a friendship with this little kid at that time. And... Um, He's graduated, he's had multiple surgeries, um, and he's actually a, a kid that's uh, working in high V and I mean, but what that's the joy that I get. I see you know these kids and families come out to the ballpark. Um, our fifth grade day that we do with the LPS day is one day that I didn't have any clue, what impact that was really going to have. It took me two or three, maybe four years to get that off the ground, working with LPS to get all the fifth graders to come to the ballpark. And at the end of that day, the first year, I had probably a two- or three-foot stack of thank-you notes that came from kids that were at that game the first year. And we get them every year, but I didn't realize how many kids – had never been at Haymarket Park, and they were fifth graders, 10 or 11, 12 years old, What probably 12 years old. They'd never been to the ballpark. And you just – we kind of lose sense of what – because I'm so ingrained in what we're doing and how we're doing it. But all of a sudden, we give these kids an opportunity to come out to the ballpark for the first time in their life and how much fun they had. Yeah. So that's the joy I get is to see people enjoy. And, yeah, you know, the winning and losing is – that can grind on you. Uh, winning the championship was a was a pinnacle. Uh, but all in all, just seeing families enjoying a baseball game or enjoying being out here is probably the biggest enjoyment I get out of it.
0: So, in turn, what is the biggest challenge? What is the greatest challenge that you face regularly in this job?
1: Just getting butts in seats, getting people to come out to the ballpark. Um, you know, it's we've been very. Very consistent with about, you know, we get 3,500 3, to 4,000 fans on average throughout the summer. Uh, the Monday Tuesday games and Wednesday games are hard to draw because people are busy. And the weekends are really pretty good. We're very fortunate that the fan support's happening. But, you know, when you look at the city of Lincoln, it's 240, it's growing faster and faster all the time. I'm just, my whole point is, I could have everybody come here just once. Come here once during the summer mm-hmm there'd be 240,000 fans come through here versus one hundred eighty or 190,000. So, you know, I'm, I'm biased from that standpoint. Not everybody's going to come out to the ballpark, but it's, um, that's probably the biggest challenge. And trying to refresh and make it, you know, have fun for people to understand, hey, this is something new. This is, you know, try to refresh it, and whether it's our between-ending promotions or our giveaways or our merchandise, you know, those are the challenges that we have to try to refresh it that now that we've been here 19 years.
0: So you ever think the 80-hour weeks and the incessant <laughs> calls you get in the middle of the night and all of those things, uh, are those things all worth it? Is it is it all in the end, um, you know, those job uh, responsibilities and, and dynamics are all worth, um, you know, the kid who's pushing himself across the home plate, uh, those kinds of moments? There's,
1: there's no doubt. I mean, I, again, thank the Abel family for giving me the opportunity to do this. Um you know, Jim's vision of wanting to bring this here, um, yeah, it's worth it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's grinding. Um, you know, now I've got four grandkids, another one on the way, and, you know, to see the grandkids come out here and have fun and get on the field with me and be down there with Homer, and I mean, it's just, those those are, you look back and say, oh God, there's a lot of time we've been here, but, you know, all in all, it's been a great, great run. Um, like I said, it's hard to I was talking to the umpires last night when they were here in Lincoln, and just hard to believe that, you know, when we first were in this thing the first year thinking, okay, there's year two and then there's year three, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, would we be around in five years? Because it's independent, it's mm-hmm. different. And here we are going into our 19th season, which, I mean, I think says a lot for the community. It says a lot for the, the, uh, the organization um, and the family, you know, the ABLE family, you know, And the partnership with the University of Nebraska, I mean, that's really what makes us really work. Uh, We're using a facility that we're sharing, and we're sharing costs, and we're having fun uh, putting a good product out there for fans to come out and enjoy.
0: So you're happy 20 years ago you said to Jim Abel, yes, I'll do it.
1: (laughs) I am happy I did. Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, like I said, Jim's vision, and, and he's got one of the great stories about him was when he would go to a Lincoln Chiefs game when he was littler, and uh, I, one night and I may have this totally wrong, but it, he had a milk top. There was a milk top promotion, and he won a bike at the at the game, and that was it stuck with him all his all the years. And when they were talking about bringing minor league baseball back, that was one of the kind of the kingpins that basically he wanted to create that experience that he had when he was a kid and that baseball get professional baseball back in lincoln and so um obviously there were a lot of other things that came into play to make this all happen but uh that was one of the things from his standpoint that he remembers when he was a kid
0: now you have a generation of kids who were born and going out of high school into the college who've never known anything but the lincoln salt
1: dogs you're exactly right and that's what's really amazing you know you think back and uh, you know, I just talked to one of our host families the other day, and they—they've been a host family with us for from day one, and been salt dog season ticket holders, et cetera, et cetera. But their son was born the year the salt dogs come around, and here he is getting ready to, you know, graduate from high school and that type of thing. So, yeah, no, it's you, it, that's what you really put in perspective when you look at what's happened here, and um, you know, and you look at the junior salt dog program that we've got. Uh, there's 2,000 kids a summer that are in that program. They, you know, that program's run separate from us, but the, we gave them the, the junior salt dog or the, the logo to use, and that, the, the attachment point between us and them, that, hey, they're a junior salt dog, that sooner or later, you know, that's my goal at some point, that we get a junior salt dog playing as a salt dog at Haymarket Park. So that it'll happen. It's going to happen someday, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, so when you greet that guy in the mirror every morning and you say, Charlie Meyer, you've done your job.
1: Attaboy. <laughs> right.
0: Charlie right. Meyer's Salt Dog started their 100-game American Association season this week. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm John Schrader. This is Watch the Media.